On my first day at Josie and Rich's farm, we weeded below the cherimoya trees. We were out in the field getting to know each other, and I asked them, have you had to change the way you farm because of climate change? Rich said something like, climate change? Ugh, we don't believe in that garbage. The climate is always changing. It's just a way for the government to control us. I was absolutely speechless. This moment has been stuck in my head for four years. Josie and Rich are some of the most sustainable people I know. They run an organic farm in New Zealand, at the very top of the North Island. I found their farm online through a network that matches organic farms with volunteers, and I reached out to Josie and Rich because they had great reviews. I was looking for farming experience to learn more about sustainable agriculture practices that can help address climate change, and I was also looking to have a good time. Josie and Rich's farm is a sustainable farmer's paradise. They have solar panels for all their energy needs, a compost toilet, a native bush restoration project, and organic produce every which way. They make everything they use. Wine, beer, soap, lotion, you name it. Josie and Rich built their own home out of tires they found in a nearby junkyard to turn a waste product into something beautiful. So when Rich said he didn't believe in climate change, my jaw literally dropped. I was so caught off guard. How could organic farmers who live so sustainably not believe in climate change? I wanted to push back and I wanted to ask more, but it was my first day on the farm and I didn't want to get kicked out. I had nowhere else to go. I grew up in a place where everyone believes in climate change. Not kidding, Rich was the first person in my life who looked me dead in the eye and told me they didn't believe in climate change. After that conversation, we never discussed climate change again. But now, four years later, this moment still nags at me. So I decided to reopen the can of worms and finally have the conversation I should have had long ago. How can Josie and Rich dedicate their lives to sustainability but deny climate change? I decided to find out. This is the story about the wondrous lives of two people who run an organic farm, live in a house made of tires, and read each other's minds. And it's also a story about why they don't believe in climate change. And in the end, I think it tells us something about the power of language, and how the solution to saving the planet may not have much to do with the phrase climate change at all. To understand how we got here, we need to first go back in time to learn how Josie and Rich started the farm. That story begins in the middle of the ocean. Josie and Rich lived in a boat for five years, traveling around the Pacific Ocean. Everything was going great, until one day, Josie noticed that the boat was filling with water. I looked out the back and I said to Rich, Oh, what's all that water? Why isn't that water draining out of the boat? So he said, I think you better put a May Day call out. Like we've been living on a boat for over five years and had never had to do anything like this. Water was coming in so fast that Rich barely had time to make the call before he was washed overboard. And I'd gone up, up into the cabin to grab some life jackets and I got caught in there. The wave that broke in, pushed back out, and I got sucked back out with an over the back of the boat, and we both was sort of treading water, watching the boat go underwater. <laughs> Completely gone. Yeah. And then anything that could float, like persimmons, 
the fish all started popping up, all the dead fish that we had caught. The milk, I remember the milk, was a near-death for Rich. I was fine. I had a wetsuit on, but Rich freed this, had taken his jumper, his coat off. So he was in a T-shirt. It was really cold. So he was getting hypothermia, and I was just holding on to him on the surfboard, and I knew he was dying right there and then. We actually started talking in our mind to each other. We didn't even talk out loud. It was very cosmic. Josie knew if they weren't rescued soon, Rich would die. But just when Rich was ready to let go, they saw a boat headed toward them. We managed to survive two and a half hours out in the water, and that really did change a lot for us. We needed to be grounded again. Like, it had hit us pretty hard, you know. That brush with death changed their perspective forever. That was a slingshot to us growing food for other people. We didn't look at it as a bad thing. It's made our resolve even stronger to, to touch the earth lightly, try and leave as little footprints as possible and make it a better place. Back on land, they made a commitment to take care of the earth by growing food for other people. I guess a near-death experience can do that. It puts your life into perspective pretty smartly about what's real, you know, and it's, it sets a course for you. I was told, look, you got to go back. Our growing experience and, and developing this property to what it is now, it still comes back, stems from that point in time. So Josie and Rich bought a parcel of land and turned it into an organic farm. They grow every vegetable you can think of and lots of fruit. Their cash crop is cherimoya, a large green fruit with a white custard-like inside. It tastes like a blend of pineapple and banana. Rich and Josie started growing cherimoya when they found out that their neighbors had stopped growing it. We've always moved in the opposite direction of the flow for some reason, and I said, Wow, people are getting out of them. That means there's going to be a shortage sooner or later. Yeah, we were right. And we grew them all from seed. From seed and and grafted them ourselves. Cherimoya is not the only thing they grew from the ground up. We were down in our old shack and it was starting to fall down. And we just kept watching these birds build bird nests and we thought, that's pretty bloody cool. Building a house out of tires, that's a really good way of Turning a negative into a positive, you've got to walk your talk. So many people should do it. Josie and Rich believe in walking their environmental talk, and their house, made out of 700 tires they found in a landfill, is just one of countless examples that prove this point. But as we continued talking, I kept going back to that moment on my first day on the farm, when Rich told me he didn't believe in climate change. This was the reason I wanted to interview them in the first place. But I was so nervous to bring it up. I finally got the courage to ask. I asked Rich if he remembers our conversation from my first day on the farm, and if he could say more about why he doesn't believe in climate change. Climate change, I think, is an Al Gore fantasy. I think it's fear-mongering. If we were in a climate crisis, everyone would have to stop flying around in private jets and really start backing your organic grower because they sub-question more carbon than any other grower. There's nothing positive going on there except trying to make money out of people and restrict them. It's more about stop polluting the planet. It's not climate change, it's pollution, and no one's addressing it. 
pollution that's been going on for years and years, not recycling and, and not touching the earth as lightly as they could. As he was speaking, I really focused on listening instead of inserting my own opinion. And then you have climate change, which for me, we all move through cycles, but we haven't got any warmer. It all depends where you start to track it from, you know. And now we've got CO2 and the atmosphere's going up, but it's been a lot higher in our past, and we'll need CO2. We're carbon-based life forms. We're stardust and 20-billion-year-old carbon, and we've got to get back to the garden. <laughs> That's Jodie Mitchell. That's Joni Mitchell's song, Woodstock. Joni Mitchell is an environmentalist. I mean, just look at her song, Big Yellow Taxi. This song became the anthem of the environmental movement in the 1970s, with lyrics like, Hey farmer, farmer, put away the DDT now. Today, Big Yellow Taxi is ranked in various places, including The Guardian, as the number one song about the climate crisis. So it's really interesting, even maybe oxymoronic, that Joni Mitchell, a climate activist, would be quoted by Rich in his argument against climate change. Mitchell's song Woodstock was inspired by the Woodstock Festival and also became an anthem, but here an anthem for the counterculture movement. Her song expresses a longing for utopia, imagining a simpler world and going back to a garden where love and peace prevail over hatred and intolerance. But here's the thing. Even though Joni is a climate activist and Josie and Rich are climate deniers, they all want the same thing, to get back to the garden. When we hear about the World Economic Forum having a little get-together in Davos and they're all flying in there with a thousand private planes they're going to and try and tell people like you and I how it's going to be, well, it's not no. going to happen. Are you scared for the future or do you feel like everything's fine? We just see this land getting wasted on and poisoned. And yeah, I'm concerned about yeah. that. So it's, it's made our resolve even stronger and getting towards our retirement age now. We've decided that we've started planting native trees. So that's our plan going forward is to bring the native bush back. And I'm still very hopeful that things will change. That's good to hear as a young person that there, there could be a future out there. I began to wonder if climate change solutions are leaving the small grower behind, and if their perspectives are missing from these bigger conversations. I come from such a different world, far away from the actual realities of growing food, but I was beginning to understand Josie and Rich's arguments. They don't believe in climate change, but they are definitely treating the earth better than most people I know who do believe in it. It's really tempting to combine being pro-environment with being concerned about climate change, right? I think that's something that a lot of people do. That's Dr. Brianne Sodolsky, an associate professor at Portland State University. 
She studies the public's understanding of climate change. And in some ways, that connection exists for people, but it doesn't always. And I think one of the important things to remember when thinking about this connection between beliefs about climate change and beliefs about the environment or behavior toward the environment generally is that climate beliefs aren't really about understanding science. It's about political views and it's about culture and it's about in-group, out-group and a whole bunch of other things. It is entirely possible for someone to say, I'm not sure about this whole climate change thing, but I do love clean air and clean water and I care about plants and animals and the ecosystem. What Dr. Sodolsky is describing sounds a lot like Josie and Rich. I don't know what the answer is to make people stop abusing our earth. I mean, it's as simple as that. They just have to stop abusing it. You've got to have discernment. And, and to have that, you, you've got to know what's resonating for you, you know, what's your truth. Because everyone can make their own realities as well. You know, we all live a separate reality, but we're all here on the same plane. Every one of us is very important. It just takes people to be in harmony with each yeah. other, not judge each other. Josie and Rich, maybe even without trying, offered advice on how to bridge the divide in the climate debate. Approaching the topic without judgment, recognizing everyone's importance, accepting that we can live different realities and hold different perspectives, and still all work in our own ways to protect the planet. And maybe that's not only okay, but necessary. I wish there was a single answer. I wish I could tell you, like, if we just say this phrase, everything will be magically fixed. But in my mind, I think the most promising way forward is to stop using the phrase climate change. Just stop using it. To be clear, this is just if you're dealing with someone who's skeptical of climate change or, you know, doesn't accept it. If you're talking to people who are already alarmed and they already accept climate science, it's totally fine to talk about climate change in that topic and use that phrase. And that's a controversial piece of advice. And I've gotten quite a bit of pushback from climate scientists themselves because they feel like not using it feels disingenuous. And I absolutely understand that. But I think from a social scientific perspective, I think we have to ask ourselves, do we want to be right or do we want to address climate change? I started to wonder where Josie and Rich fall within the climate movement. They say they don't believe in climate change, but every action they take is sustainable. Can a movement claim you even when you reject it or deny its existence? This made me think of one of my favorite singers, Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton wrote 9 to 5, a feminist anthem, a song embraced by the working women's movement. But Dolly refuses to classify herself as a feminist and has continually separated herself from the women's movement. WNYC's Dolly Parton's America, hosted by Jad Abumrad and produced by Shima Olier, confronts this phenomenon, Dolly's pro-woman songs and simultaneous aversion to the word feminism. Jad says, The lenses we have to see each other, the words we use to describe each other, they're just not good enough. And Shima chimes in, And maybe Dolly moves in the space where those words fail. The same space that Josie and Rich seem to occupy. Josie and Rich aren't motivated to make an environmental difference by believing in climate change. For them, climate change doesn't matter. 
And while this example of cognitive dissonance felt novel and somewhat profound to me, it's something Dr. Sodovsky has a long history with. I'm from a very small, conservative, fairly religious town in Idaho. And I grew up not with an animosity toward science, but just with caution toward science. I was raised to believe that the earth is 6,000 years old and that scientists planted fossils to confuse Christians about the age of the earth. And so anytime climate change was brought up, which by the way, was not often, it was kind of presented as a, not a conspiracy, but like a political ploy to kind of give the government more control than it should have. Growing up, Dr. Sorovsky, an expert on public understanding of climate change, didn't believe in climate change herself. Like Dr. Sorovsky, growing up, I absorbed what was around me to help inform my thoughts on climate change. It's just that the information we were surrounded by was radically different. I was rocking a reduce-reuse recycle shirt at age six, and I was motivated to take care of the environment because of climate change. That's why I was so puzzled by Josie and Rich's anti-climate change opinions. I didn't change my mind by learning more science, believe it or not. For me, what changed my mind was actually a learning about philosophy, of all things. I was in a, an English class my senior year of high school, and we had to read a book called Sophie's World. It's basically a book about a little girl named Sophie who meets all of these different philosophers. It was the very first time I actually questioned my assumptions about what it means to know something and how we know and what counts as knowing. And then I ended up going to college and took introductory science classes. And it was the philosophy coupled with talking with actual scientists that ended up unraveling my skepticism toward climate change. Throwing scientific information at people doesn't seem to work. My entry point into believing in climate change was not science either. My elementary school had Earth Day assemblies, and I really loved animals as a kid. I mean, all kids do, but I like really, really, really did. To the point that my grandma told my mom it would be bad parenting if she didn't get a dog for our family. And one year at an Earth Day assembly, they showed us photos of polar bears. Looking at these polar bears on melting ice caps made me realize that the actions we take have enormous consequences. The world was melting before me. Things were dying. And my entry point was a story about the fate of an animal and a powerful image. Like Josie and Rich, I had a personal passion that motivated me to care about the planet. But for four years, I judged them. I held this conviction that I was right without considering any alternative narratives. But maybe believing in climate change could be beside the point. Here is a great example of people who are doing all the quote-unquote right things, but it's just they just don't accept climate science. And maybe that's fine. And maybe we just move on and find those areas of agreement. I think, you know, words like climate change function to divide us. And that's sad, right? It's just kind of a shame. We get so caught up and wrapped up in these terms and what they mean and what they mean not only about us, but what they say about people who disagree with us or people we see as different from us or apart from us. And... I think we get so caught up in that that we forget that we are all human beings living on the same planet who actually have a lot in common and a lot of shared value. It's really important and not only important for 
pro-environmental movements, but also just important for humanity <laughs> that we can find kind of our common ground and areas of connection. Josie and Rich have a lot in common with people in the climate movement, as does Dolly with people in the feminist movement. I mean, she's close friends with Jane Fonda after all. They have all these things in common, even though they use different language and none of them would ever admit it. In full honesty, if I met Josie and Rich anywhere else besides their own home where I was living and working, I might not have given them the time of day once I learned they didn't believe in climate change. It embarrasses me to think that I might have disregarded them because we use different language. I might never have heard their perspective and realized that we actually agree on the important things when it comes to the future of the planet. I'm a better, kinder person because I met them, more adventurous and bold, and more open to the world and all of its possibilities. In addition to being a farmer, sailor, and do-it-yourself home builder, Rich is also a singer, songwriter, and rock guitarist, all self-taught. He wrote a song called Fields of Time that has a lot to do with what we've talked about. So here's Rich with the final word before he has to get back to the garden. Stop now, take a good look around to see that you've all desecrated the ground. And it's about time you stopped all this crazy shit. I got on with it. To Back to the Garden, which was written and produced by me, Anna McNulty, as part of the Stanford Storytelling Project. Thanks to Blue Dot Sessions, Joni Mitchell, and Rich Van Alphen for the music and mix kit for the sound effects. Many, many thanks to Josie and Rich Van Alphen and Dr. Brian Sadolsky. There would be no podcast without you. Special thanks to my mentor, Laura Joyce Davis, and the entire Braiding Grant team for your feedback and guidance. Finally, many thanks to my mom, Lainey, and my sister, Sophie, for their editing advice and inspiring ideas throughout this process.